Hey family, what a, what a couple of weeks uh, we've had. On, as many of you know, on May 25th, George Floyd was killed. I shot a short video just kind of responding to that. And you can find that on our, on our YouTube channel. But as of this recording, just eight days later, actually, um, our curfew is being enforced throughout our city, throughout many of the major cities in our country. And there's just so much going on. There have been many peaceful protests as people gather to mourn and lament all that's happened. Uh, then there's been a lot of rioting and loot, looting and vandalism and um, a lot that's gone on uh, in cities throughout our country and in our own city. Uh, and there's been many great responses by law enforcement and all of that and sweet pictures of unity. And then there's also been some other uh, responses by law enforcement that seem hard to come to grips with. Um, the last few days, it, it really felt like the news, but just personally, it's felt like it's come at me faster than I can even keep up with. And really, most of the time, I don't want to keep up with it. Um, we have the president standing in front of, the, of a church with a Bible. We have another man in Louisville getting shot. We have a police officer getting shot in Las Vegas. And none of that even is all of the news, and none of it even touches the coronavirus pandemic that we still find ourselves in or, or just the many personal things that we're going through that we're struggling with, that are going on in our lives, uh, suffering and hurt and sin and struggle uh, that we just continually struggle with. And so as we look at all that's going on and we look at what's going on in our lives, it's, it's quite easy and quite accurate to say that there is so much darkness. But as we look at the world, as we look at all we're caught up in, um, there truly is so much darkness. But if we look closely, even in the, the midst of this immense amount of darkness, even in, the, even in the news we see light break through. We learn about George Floyd and that he was a, a person of peace in the old neighborhood he used to live in. A person of peace is like a missionary term when uh, people that were wanting to do ministry would look for someone that kind of bridged the gap between them and uh, those that lived in the neighborhood. And George Floyd was that person that would work with ministries to uh, help them make an impact in his neighborhood. Um, we've seen pictures of police officers and protesters embracing even in our own city, we saw the chief and assistant chief of police kneel down and pray with the protesters. We've seen public leaders, including officers, acknowledge that something has to change with how we police, especially when it comes to African-Americans in our community, in our country. We've seen African-American leaders and the community call each other to peace, not more violence. And so in light of all of this, it, it really is fitting that we're turning to 1 John, a book of the Bible that really is all about darkness and light. Uh, the author John loves uh, this metaphor to describe the essence of who God is and his interaction uh, with his creation. Let me, uh, let me read just 1 John. We're going to be in uh, verse, chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, and then uh, we'll take some time to uh, talk through it. So go ahead and turn to 1 John chapter 1. And we'll read verses 1 through 5. It says, That which is from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest. And we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, 
which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So really I have a a simple hope as I kind of set us up in this book with some of the context, uh, some of the themes that that John's going to cover throughout uh, this book. And it's really that God, that the Holy Spirit would move in our hearts and lives in such a way to just reorient uh, our hearts, our emotions, um, our responses, that he would reorient all of those around himself and who he is. And in a day when what's going on outside our doors can seem so big, uh, bigger than God maybe even, um, that the word proclaims to us another message, a message that God is different, that he is other. He is, he is not like us, even though he is making us like him. And, and, and this God that we, that we just read about, that is light, he, we, we see that he, he's light. he didn't keep this light to himself. He didn't remain far off, but he brought this light to us. And we see that in verses 1 and 2 where John's just talking about that, which was from the beginning, talking about Jesus from the very beginning, that he's eternal, but that even this eternal God has come so near that, that John was able to hear him. He was able to see him with his eyes. He looked upon him. He he touched him with his hands. That that's how, how near this God that is so different and so beyond us, that is perfect in every way, yet he also came near. I love actually how John sums all of this up in, in verse 5 of his gospel account. So the author of John here, he wrote the gospel of John. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he wrote John. And then he wrote these three letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and he wrote Revelation. And 1st and John and the gospel of John have a lot of overlap in, in between them. And, and, and the gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 5, um, he, he says, just quite simply, talking about this, this God who is light, he says in John 1, 5, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. I actually like to read 1 John 1, 5 and John 1, 5 back to back because you get this kind of full picture of the gospel. This is 1 John 1, 5. It says, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. So just that beautiful picture of God being light and in him there's no darkness at all, but God shining his light into the darkness um, and doing that through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, which we actually see in uh, John's purpose. I love, one of the things I love about John is he's just so straightforward at times. He tells us quite plainly in both of uh, these works, in 1 John and in the gospel, just what his purpose is uh, to writing these very books. And in 1 John 5, 13, he says this. So this is why he's writing. Uh, he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And then John in the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 30 through 31, the whole purpose of him writing that account was this. He says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written 
so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. It's interesting in 1 John writing to Christians, wanting them to know that they have eternal life. And we'll talk about what that means. And, and John writing to non-Christians, wanting them to believe upon Jesus as the Christ. But then also this thing that ties them both together, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Just this idea, idea that, that eternal life, that life in any way is only found in this Jesus that God has sent. So the Holy Spirit through John is just telling us that he wants us to believe in Jesus and have eternal life. And we can tend to look at those kinds of statements and think, oh yeah, I do that. I believe Jesus. I have eternal life. To be honest with you, if I just think of that statement by itself, believing in Jesus and having eternal life, if I'm honest, it sounds like a bad culmination to a bad Christian movie. Uh, Like just to believe in Jesus and have eternal life. I remember I was watching one bad Christian movie and it was like this atheist professor has a near-death experience and comes to know Jesus. And it was just, uh, I mean, it just wasn't good. Um, But... John doesn't have cliche American Christianity in mind when he says this. We might, I do, but but John's far from that. When he says believe in Jesus and believe and have eternal life, he is talking about a real savior. Again, he's talking about someone that he has seen, that he's heard, that he's heard laugh, that he's seen, that he's been around, that he's touched, that he's that he knows. He's talking about a real Jesus. And then he's talking about uh, this different kind of eternal life, this true abundant life that we get to experience even now. And and really the themes that he covers throughout 1 John um, really fill out what he means by eternal life, fills out what he means when he's saying that he desires for us to have life and have eternal life. And so over the next several weeks, we'll see that when we're talking about eternal life, we're talking about these themes that John's going to co- cover. And, and when we think about having eternal life, if we're a Christian, if we're following Jesus, the things I'm going to talk about should be present uh, in our lives. And then as Christians, these things are where we actually get to enjoy that eternal life in the here and now. And so when we want to enjoy eternal life, we pursue light over darkness. When we want to enjoy eternal life, we believe God's truth instead of lies. Uh, When we want to enjoy eternal life, we have real intimate fellowship with God. And then we also have real deep fellowship with each other. Uh, When we want to enjoy eternal life, we choose belief over unbelief. Eternal life and enjoying that in the the now is about enjoying God's love for us and enjoying our love for each other. John will talk much about that. Enjoying eternal life is about choosing obedience over sin. And and then obviously there's a a time aspect to eternal life that as we uh, choose to know and love and start following Jesus, that eternal life begins now but then it does literally go through eternity where we get to enjoy this God and enjoy all he's done for us uh, forever. And then these themes in this letter and in these passages, these verses that we read here in 1 John, just one through five, and all of these themes, he's actually writing in 
to a particular context. So First uh, John is what's called a circular letter, that it wasn't just written to one church, but it was written to several churches that had uh, a relationship with John. And he's writing to uh, refute a, a particular kind of teaching that is going on. And it's it pro- most likely what many commentators think it's some early form of Gnosticism. And I don't say that for any other reason as to actually it's, it, it'll be a, a little helpful for us to understand the context that he was speaking to because that context speaks to our context. Listen to what one commentator sp- says. He says, it is customary to understand 1 John as a response to the rise of an early form of Gnosticism. Now, obviously, we don't have to know everything about Gnosticism, but listen to some of the characteristics of, of this. This was a religious mysticism that pirated Christian motifs to propagate an understanding of salvation based on a secret knowledge. And according to this view, redemption is through affirming the divine light already in the human soul, not through repentance of sin and faith in Christ's death to bring about spiritual rebirth. So I think it's very likely that there are no practicing Gnostics in our midst, uh, but I think we can relate to these principles. Um, Even if you think about... um, that first idea of Gnosticism being um, a, a thought system, a religious system that pirated Christian motifs. Uh, to be honest with you, a lot of it, re- it reminds me of like just the, the Southern culture or Christian ethics absent of Christ. There's nothing wrong with Southern culture necessarily in and of itself, or it's not better or worse than any other culture. But, but when people um, really act as if they're Christians, when they're actually far from Christ, that is, is, a, is a trait of uh, Gnosticism. Or just the idea that there's some secret knowledge. This is something we can all for, fall prey to. That there's some secret thing that we're going to be able to understand and find out that's going to make everything in our life fall into place. Um, or finally, that, that there's this divine light in us that we just have to find. And once we find it and let it loose, then our true potential will be realized. And that is about every Disney movie ever made. Um, that, that is kind of the, the plot line. And I love Disney movies, so I'm not saying, but I'm just like that is a, a message that our culture just continues to throw at us. Um, and we would be naive to think that we don't believe that as times. And so that is the culture that, that John is writing into. And so I think in a very helpful way, he's writing into our culture uh, in that same way. And it's in this context of people believing and proclaiming this different God, this different gospel, that John proclaims the true God. The God that is light and in whom we find no darkness. And he proclaims that this God shined his light into the darkness through Jesus. That this light came um, to be among sinful man. And and John's caught up on this proclamation. He thinks it's really important. If you look in verse 2, he says, that he's there here to proclaim to you the eternal life. And then you look in verse 3, that which we have seen and we have heard, we proclaim also to you. And then finally in verse 5, this is the message that he's wanting to proclaim. This is the message that we have heard from him and proclaim to you. Here's the message, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So I think it's important that we dwell on the reality that um, of John's message in verse 5. That, that maybe even as we dwell on it, that we gather around this God 
that is perfect and light and beckons us to worship him, to look to him and reflect his light to the world around us. There is, is, as I was saying earlier, there is darkness everywhere we look. There's darkness outside of us. There's darkness inside of us. Um, But John says there's one place. One place there is no darkness. Not a speck, not a little bit, not one iota of darkness. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And one of the things I think we do, brothers and sisters, is because we are overwhelmed by the darkness inside us and outside us, is that we do place that onto God. We, we don't believe this often. We think, we, we may say it with our, our mouths, we may uh, sign off on that theological statement, but in our lives we believe there is some darkness uh, in God. And I think it's good for us to acknowledge that when it's going on in our hearts and our lives, when it, whether it's regarding things that are going on in the world or things that are going on in our own life and come and wrestle with and reckon with the reality that God is light and his light shines in the darkness and God has done something about the darkness, but in God, there is no darkness. And the reality is if this is this, because this is true, because God is light and in him, there is no darkness. It, it gives us hope. The fact that in God there is no darkness and in him is complete light, it gives us hope and it humbles us. Um, We we get to put our hope in this God because we realize that there's nowhere else. Everywhere else there is darkness and there's only one place there is uh, complete light and complete perfection. Um, We can't look to any president, past, present, or future. Uh, for this kind of hope, only in God. There's no even political view or philosophy that will bring the justice that we desire. We have to hope in our God. There's no amount of money that will end our stress and anxiety. We can't look to our own abilities to respond perfectly, even to all that's going on right now, to know everything and know how to respond perfectly. We can't do that or look to our ability to do that. Uh, We can't look to our own understanding and wisdom. None of us have all of this figured out. Man, if we're not humbled by all that's going on right now, we can't plan our way out of darkness into light. Um, There's no new start that's going to fix your life in this way. There's no new new story that is going to calm your anxiety. We can't hope in our own strength, but we can hope in this God of light. And that's where we put our hope. And then also, again, the fact that in Him is light and in all of us there's darkness is humbling and it should humble us. Uh, as a family, we have a, a memory verse we do every month. And so every month at dinner, we will recite a verse and try to memorize it and talk about it at dinner. And uh, for this month in June, it's James 4.10, really small verse. It's humble yourselves before the Lord and, and he will exalt you. Um, and, and really the, the reality that God is different than all of us is, is something that should humble us. If darkness is truly present everywhere, but in this God, then we all have to come to him humbly, admitting the darkness that is inside us. Are you wrestling with that? Are you wondering, have you, have you ever done that? Have you confessed the darkness, the sin that is present in your own life? None of us escape that. We've talked about that week after week, and we'll never stop talking about it, that we were all once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, and he has reconciled us. Uh, in his body of death by his death on the cross to present us as holy and blameless and above reproach 
before him, that we were enemies of God, as Romans 5 said. And at the right time, Christ died for us, died for the ungodly. That is everyone that has ever been born. We have darkness. And so we all humbly have to come to this God who is the only one within whom there is no darkness. Have you confessed that? Have you turned and put your faith in what Jesus has done for you and his forgiveness of your sin and his resurrection to show that he has the power over Satan's sin and death? Would you do that even now to confess your sin and turn to him? And then as Christians, do we realize that that the, one of the beauty, beautiful things about the Christian life is realizing actually how sinful we are. That as we grow in grace, as God sanctifies us, as God grows us and makes us more into the image of his son, one of the ways he does that is by showing us more and more clearly how sinful we are. If you think about Paul and his life and uh, even as you think about statements he made along his life, he, he starts by saying he was the least of apostles. And then he gets a little older and a little more mature in his faith. And he says he's the least of all the saints. And then right before he's about to die, he calls himself the chief of sinners. I truly believe Paul was being sanctified. He was growing in his struggles with sin, but he was doing that by realizing just how sinful he was. And in that, joying more and more and more of God's grace. We believe the lie that as we grow closer to Jesus, uh, we just, you know, kind of get a really, really far from our sin. And I do believe God heals us and grows us out of particular struggles. I'm, I'm evidence of that. Um, but I also think that maturity means we see just how holy God is and how sinful we are. Um, and are you growing in that? Uh, again, because there's darkness in everyone but God, we, we should grow in that kind of humility. And then if darkness is present in everyone but God, then we must come to each other humbly, realizing that none of us are perfect. Is there anyone you're viewing as less than you? Is there any group of people you're viewing as less than you? Isn't that the big problem with what's going on in so much of our culture? And not just our culture, like from the beginning of time kind of culture. That's a big part of the problem is us viewing a person or another kind of people as less than. And when we look at God as he is light and there is darkness in every one of us, we should rightfully view us all on the same level playing field. Uh, we should re realize that uh, we are always more like each other than less like each other. I, I loved a, a counselor one time. He said, uh, I think it was, it was Paul Tripp. He, I can't remember where I heard him say this, but um, he was talking about counseling a paranoid schizophrenic. So someone that had uh, some really significant uh, mental health issues, but he was saying that he was more like that person than less like that person. That they had more in common because they were created in the image of God, because they were people and there's was, there was a commonality there. And, and it's a little different situation, but all that's going on in the world, we should be able to look at each other. We need to pray that God would help us look at each other uh, as we have more in common. Uh, and, and to be honest with you, right now, we're, we're prone to do this in, in certain areas and less prone to do it in other areas. Um, there, there's certain people right now, probably that have a different political persuasion than you, that you really struggle to look, like, look at um, as if y'all are in the exact same need uh, of this God. Um, that you are in just as much of need as they are. But the truth is, it's true of everyone that's ever been born. If darkness um, is present in every race, in every tongue, in every tribe, 
then we actually can find unity uh, and humility in the need that we have. Do you desire to be unified? Just as a church, let's just stick here. Do you desire to be unified as a church? And the diversity that, that God has borne in his church and the diversity of the people that God has saved and is saving, do you de de desire unity? I really, I don't know what it's going to look like, but I think it's going to take much more humility than we can imagine and much more prayer than we could ever imagine. Expressing how much we really need God to do this and how much this isn't in our own wisdom uh, to be able to achieve. But again, I think in that 1 John 1, 5, the reality that in him is no darkness at all helps us realize he's the only place we can go to uh, for that. So brothers and sisters, let's admit our great need. And in humility and hope, gather around the God of light. There is nowhere else we can go, that he would orient our hearts and our lives around him and cling to him and see him as our, our, the great need that he is. Let's listen to John. Let's listen to his testimony who heard Jesus, who saw Jesus, and let's believe John. And let's come to Jesus with our confusion and our anger and our tiredness. He's the only one who can truly handle it. And as we do that together as a church, might we find unity as we are all at his feet, seeing he is the only one able to shine light into this darkness. Let me pray for us. Jesus, right now, we just come to you. And God, even as I say that, we, we so desire that we could physically be present together in coming to you. But for now, we come to you and hopefully the same heart even if separated by time and space. And we confess our great need. We're sad, we're grieving, we're tired, we're confused. The world feels like it's swirling at times while we continue to go to our jobs and do the day-to-day -day stuff of life. It, it can be quite disorienting. We need you. And all of this, would you work in uh, ways beyond our belief? Would you bring a unity that could only be explained by you? Revive your church to be the beacon of light that you've called her to be. Give us wisdom to know what it means to do that. And help us for your glory and the sake of your great name. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.